Sorry. It's the little guys you have to be aware of. Aware of. I got myself into a few fights at school. And, you know, not by my own choosing very often. Uh, you know, people pick on the little guys. If you've been a little person, you know what that's like. You just, you're like a magnet for would-be hard knocks. You know what I mean? Uh, I've always got myself into scrapes. On one occasion, at least, I got myself into this fight. So we were down at the cut, the canal, uh, the, water wo- the waterways that uh, go all over, network across Britain. And, and I don't know what possessed me, but I just uh, I was determined I was going to get into a fight with this lad. And so I pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until we had this fight by the canal. Not a great place to be having a fight. You know, and, you know, well, as you would expect, I got beaten half to death by this lad. But if I had, my, if I had any sense, I would never have picked a fight in the first place. This guy was much bigger than me. He was much stronger than me. You know, obviously a more experienced fighter. And there was absolutely no way I was going to beat this guy. I had no chance. You only had to look at him I mean, and look at me. Like me putting myself alongside Pete, you know, he'd have no chance, would he? Okay, and so the point is this that ever before I got into that fight, I really should have taken stock of the situation, I should have measured up who I was taking on, thought about it more seriously, and I had plenty of opportunity because the guy was quite reluctant to get into this fight, but no, I wanted the fight, uh, you know, if I was. A bit wiser, I would have got myself out of that situation. Safe face. Not got humiliated in front of the girls or whatever other reason I was doing this at the time. And I tell you that because as we go into Esther 5, we're confronted with the scenario where we see an incredibly astute, intelligent, brave, smart, wise young lady take on the mighty Xerxes. And unlike me, she doesn't just provoke this man into a fight. She uses the utmost shrewdness and wisdom in how she approaches this situation and changes the destiny of her people. Esther is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And and let me show you that. So our heading is, the God who is bigger than me and my circumstances. He's kind of covering uh, the chapter. And our subheading, this is where we're going this morning. Queen Esther finds grace in wisely confronting the king. Queen Esther finds grace in wisely confronting confronting the king. So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall and the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. So there's a lot of connection and irony right through this book. It's a beautiful little story. So chapter one, we see that the queen, Vashti, risked her life by not appearing before the king when summoned. And now a reversal. Queen Esther now risked her life by? Appearing. By appearing before the king on summons. So a complete 
contrast to what's going on here. And it was a dangerous thing. In fact, in archaeology, that they found tablets with pictures of how this place looked. And there's, a, there's one picture they found inscribed on the tablet where the king is sitting on his throne and he has a, this long scepter. It's just effectively a stick. And behind him is standing an axeman. And the message is obvious, isn't it? That if that scepter doesn't get extended to you, it's literally off with your head. And so this was, a, this was an in, incredibly precarious environment to be in. It's interesting here how the Bible has these incredible threads running right through it, proving there's really only one author. Here, notice, what day is it? It's the third day. That echoes or ricochets right through the Old Testament. When Abraham uh, went to sacrifice his son, he looked up and saw the mountain on the third day in Joseph's life, in, in, in uh, Jacob's life, all through some of the minor prophets, and right to the New Testament, where Jesus refers to one of the Old Testament. Jonah was in the belly of the whale until the third day. And finally, the third day, it's coming up in April the 4th, with, it is the great resurrection deliverance day. It's no coincidence that Esther today, the third day, will win the first step in liberating her people. Now notice how Esther goes dressed. Back in chapter 2, how did Esther dress? How would Esther have dressed in chapter 2? To lure, to seduce, to seduce the king. This is when she was going into his bedroom for the night. Now, how is she dressing now? Yeah, she's now putting on the full attire of a royal position. She's making a statement, isn't she? Here's what a commentator said. She's no longer relying on her beauty of powers of seduction like she did in chapter 2. Instead, she stands with all the dignity of a royal Jew. She's about to approach the king and she needs everything in her favour because remember, this could be the last day of her life. And so she, she makes every effort. She puts on her royal attire and it's a reminder to the king as she approaches him before he, before he refuses to welcome her. He, she wants to remind him that this is the queen of Persia walking into his presence. And so it goes some way into, into ensuring she's going to survive this encounter. She walks into a room where the historians tell us there are 36 pillars, okay, 64 feet high. How, how, that's taller than this room, isn't it? Way taller than this room. And this was an imposing place, and the throne was right in the centre. And the idea of these pillars were they were placed in such a way that no matter where you were in this hall... You could see the king on his throne. And the idea was to generate great awe, fear. The king armed with his henchmen with axes. You only stepped in there, remember, we say, in the pain of death. And so it's into this environment. I don't know if you ever, ever, have you ever been before a judge or been before some throne? This young lady has there. It's imposing, isn't it? Seriously so. Esther walks in there. Remember, this isn't like walking to the king in the bedroom. 
that she may be more familiar with, this is walking into the king's office. And so she does so, well aware of what could occur. In verse 2, then, when, she saw, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. That's no small thing. It's no small thing. It's, it's his divine intervention. We, we have to see that here. This is what we call providence. God has so stirred the king's heart uh, that when he sees his queen, we're told that he's pleased with her. It's the first hurdle. Esther has a mammoth task this day. But the very first one, uh, um, the most dangerous, at least immediately, is getting accepted to be, to be invited into the king's presence, to be allowed to speak. There's a long way to go, but she's over the worst and the biggest hurdle. The king will hear her. And so it's, if you like, the, the first sigh of relief. Verse 3, the king asked, and, and, and so he, he questions her, what is it? Queen Esther, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom. And look, it's, this is one of those idioms. The king wasn't really going to give away half of his kingdom. It was a big kingdom. It, it, it's a way of saying, you know, go for it. You know, hey. So you only approach a king in that scene because there's something you want to request. And, and, and his response to Esther is, okay, Esther, give you your best shot. Go for it. You've got my ear. I'm listening. What is it? What's bothering you? What's on your mind? Notice how he refers to her as the queen. He's noticed. This isn't even his wife now appearing before him. This is the queen of of Persia. And it's interesting as the author, again, if you're reading the book or have read the book, from chapter 5 onwards, she's always and only referred to as the queen. Esther is really coming into who she is, into, into her character. This is the full and proper portrayal of who she is. In verse 4 then, she speaks up. If it pleases the king. And so, proper court protocol. Remember her cousin and court protocol? How he went completely against it and this partly water in this mess? Not Esther. Esther follows court protocol down to a T. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to to a banquet I have prepared for him. What's she there there for? Remind me. I have these senior moments, ma'am. Why is she there? To save the Jews. Yes. But notice the approach. If it pleases the king, Haman is a rebel. He wants to kill our people. Off with his head. Get him. Do you know he wants to kill me? She doesn't do that, does she? That's how I would have approached the subject. <laughs> no. Now listen, look. No, no, if it pleases the king, if I've pleased the king, then look, I want to I serve you dinner. Sounds like a bizarre thing, doesn't it? Can you imagine Denise going up to Graham, you know, yeah, on his, on his seat, his little throne there. Excuse me, sire. You know, could I invite you to a meal Thursday evening? It'd be bizarre, wouldn't it? You know, it, 
but hey, she, she doesn't do that normally. You know, someone else cooks his dinners. You know, and, and this is a big thing. The queen herself wants to prepare a banquet, and so obviously, naturally, he accepts. And, and the point here is the manner in which she does it. Who is Haman? Oh, what does the king think of Haman? He says, two I see. Whatever that means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, mate. Okay. I forgot what it was. I'm back now in Adelaide. Okay. So, so look, look, Haman to the king for Esther to challenge Haman. Remember, who appointed Haman to that position? The king. So if you've got something bad to say about Haman, who are you really insulting here? Because he, he put him there. Okay. And so hey, she approaches this with the utmost caution, wisdom, intelligence. This is a clever girl, I tell you. Okay? You know, you've got to ask yourself, what do you think Esther was doing for three days when she was fasting and praying, as well as fasting and praying? She was getting those little selves, turning around. Think about prayer. Prayer isn't done like you're a Buddhist monk, mm, or however it's done. Prayer engages the intellect and the mind. It's what we use words, mostly. Okay? You know, prayer is meant to be intelligent. When we sit down and pray, we're meant to say, Lord Jesus, please prosper the, the mission work of Sanpin and Stephen. Please rescue those young girls from prostitution. Please provide the resources for those children to have an education. You see, prayer is meant to be intelligent like that. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but, you know, look when we're praying, and Lord bless Tony, that's not really prayer. It's kind of sort of missing the mark. It's like, I don't really know much about Tony. I can't really be, care to think much about it or find out much about it. Lord, you do the homework. You know anyway. Just bless him. No way. Let's get to the detail. And when we pray, let's, let, let's pray and bring detail, information to God in praise. Not that he doesn't know it already. But hey, those of you who have been parents, it's really nice to hear your kids speak to you, isn't it? It's nice to have communication and relationship. And I think one of the purposes of prayer is just God's way of saying, hey, I just want you to sit on my knee and talk to me. Talk. Open your mouth. You know, share. Of course I know it. But I love hearing the sound of your voice. And so, as a prayer, so no doubt, look, Esther, not only has she been praying, communicating, fasting, she's been working through this. And so she approaches this in, in the smartest, shrewdest, wisest, sensitive, safe way. Look, comforting her. Bring Haman. Hey, that's going, to bring, that's going to make the king happy. Of course, he wants him there. And this is a king, remember, who needs someone to make his decisions for him. He needs someone to prop him up. 
And this is great. He gets to take his best pal, the one he trusts. And you can imagine what this is doing to Haman, can't you? We learn later in the chapter, verse 5. So bring Haman at once, the king says. You know, so we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet and Esther had prepared. And whilst they were drinking wine, the last time the king was drinking wine, it was a mess, wasn't it? Okay. A woman dishonours him in the worst way. Here's a woman who's pleasing the king in the nicest way. You know, hey, they say, don't they, if your food is a way to a man's heart, is that the saying? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, th- look, that's what's going on here. Seriously, this is just mundane, ordinary textbook stuff. Okay, she wants to put uh, an incredibly difficult matter before the king. And so what's she doing? She is. That's exactly what it is, Graham. She's preparing a nice meal. She's giving him some nice wine. She's letting him bring his best mate. She's dressing herself up nicely. She's serving the king. She's been part of this meal. He's preparing, can you see? He's bringing the whole situation round to the best possible vantage point for Esther. And so you think, wouldn't you, you think now, you know, now Esther's going to do the deed. Now Esther, you've got him where you want him. Now's your chance. Go for it, Esther. And? And? No, no. Esther, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. Are you ready, king? Hey, I'll do another meal for him. I'll get him more wine. You know, and and, and I'll get Haman as off-guarded as I possibly can. The last thing she wants is a Haman who's... See, the worst thing she can do is give away anything here. Okay? And so she wants Haman lured into the safest mindset so that his guard is completely down. Because, you see, when she speaks, if Haman can put a proper defence together, who's the king going to believe? Haman. Absolutely. And so, this wise chick, okay, takes a second opportunity. No, no king, she says, if I've really found favour and if I've really pleased you, let the king and his best mate come tomorrow to the banquet that I'll prepare for them. And then I'll share with you all that's on my mind. It's not quite the time. I mean, talk about having your finger in the pulse. She's brilliant, isn't she? Absolutely brilliant. And that's really where I'm going here, friends, where the text is going. Queen Esther finds grace in wisely confronting the king. I've already told you about one of my stupid acts as a youngster, picking a fight and a guy twice as big as me. Uh, <laughs> the other one was when I was trying to catch vermin, a rat. Okay? So uh, our house, in, we had a farmhouse in North Wales, 
And typically on the far- on farms, you can expect all kind of rodents, can't you? And so we had a detachable, it was, it was attached, it was a garage, which we converted into an office for me and a utility room. In the UK, utility rooms aren't commonplace. Very few houses have them. We wanted one. Uh, but, and so it, there was an old drainage in this utility room. So obviously, vermin had still some access. And a rat had got in there, obviously, because he was eating stuff. And so I had a bright idea. I'm going to catch him. And look, you know, I didn't want to kill the rat. You know, hey, seriously. Hey, you know, God had made that little thing. And as much as it was a nuisance to me, I, I, I didn't want to kill it. So I thought, I'll catch him and let him go somewhere else. So I set up a trap, and in my pardon? Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, some of the neighbours. Uh, and I thought, you know, so I set up a trap, and I sat in there, and I thought, well, if I just sit very quietly, he won't hear me. And I just pulled the trap on him. Well, I sat there till 4 a.m. before I realised, look, you not case. You can hear you breathe. He's not going to come while you're sitting in there. So the next day, I thought, no, okay. So I set my trap up again. It was a little glass fishbowl that I turned on this upside down, put it on a stick, tied a piece of string, okay? But now I was going from there to all the way over there, the other room, with this string. I sat there at my desk. I set up a, an infrared security camera on the thing, okay? Seriously. And I sat there from 11, and then we went to bed, to 4.30 a.m., okay? Just doing this, you know. Yeah, he'd, he'd be there, and sure enough, he came at 4 a.m., and I... And I Hey, but you know, you know, I said to myself before, and I'm going to buy my time. I'm going to play cool, Montez. Keep calm, Montez. You know, you've got to go one shot at this. Don't blow it. Take your time. But the minute I saw him, he was like, oh, you know, like he's going to go. I better get in there. Better do it. And before I knew it, you know, without even properly timing it, I pulled the string. And the trouble was, because it was like 50 meters away, when you pull a string at that length, there's a delay. Which I hadn't calculate, calculated, you see. So I pull the string, nothing happens. He runs, and then he falls. <laughs> and then he only got away. And, 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 the, and the point there is, is you've not only got to be prepped, but when the moment comes, you've got to carry through patiently, wisely, okay, shrewdly, okay, you know, you know, and work this through to his conclusion. Esther, verse 7, has prepared all this banquet. And like myself, she could, have, she could have just pulled the string then and then and gone for the, gone for Haman. But no. She takes another step back and comes at it another time. It was Hannibal when he was trying to conquer the nations and when he was on the back footing and losing a battle, instead of carrying on regardless, withdrew his troops and says, we'll take them on another day when we've recuperated, when we recuperated and did and won the victory that day. Queen Esther finds grace in wisely confronting the king. You know, sometimes, Christian, we only get one shot at it. It's, you know that old comical line, if at first you don't succeed, then parachuting is not for you? <laughs> okay. It can be like that in our gospel work, in our Christian work. Sometimes you only get one shot. 
Sometimes there only be, may be only that opportunity, only that moment. You see, the gospel offers us amazing opportunities sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if we scupper them because of our impatience, our lack of reasoning and thoughtfulness and wisdom and planning and organising. And, and like Esther, knowing when to strike. Look, those of you who watch any form of racing or you know, running, you know the guy who wins? He's rarely running at the front, is he? Through the race. Take a long-distance runner. He's rarely running at the front through the race. He's always one or two back. And he picks his moment. When everybody thinks, oh, he's not doing so well today, he picks his moment. And just at the right moment, slides up front and claims a victory. I wonder how many gospel opportunities we scupper, how many opportunities to do something well for the Lord, to make something good of a situation because of our lack of prayer and fasting? I mean, how many of us here make significant decisions or do gospel work without real commitment to it through prayer? Hey, look, we're going to deliver leaflets on Friday. Please, can you try and come along if you can? But let's do this. Let's prepare for that. I pray. Fasting. Can I put that as a challenge? That before we come out on Friday, we take some time to pray and fast. That every leaflet that leaves our hands will have an impact for Jesus. Look, when we look at Jesus' life, it's Esther personified. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed Jesus wasn't stupid? If you look at his life, who is he? He's the son of God. How often did Jesus go around telling the Pharisees he's the son of God? No. No. Don't you ever think to yourself, oh, I'm reading this book and I'm going, come on Jesus, now's the time. Tell them. Tell them. Do it. And he rarely, if ever, gives anything away, does he? Why? Why was he reluctant? Yeah, it was why, why? Why was he reluctant to tell people he's the son of God? Well, I should have done. Yeah, thank you, Sid, by his actions, okay, which is safer. But why wouldn't he actually say it? Because he was wiser. Why was he wiser? Because if he was stood in Jerusalem, in the streets of Jerusalem, and said, I am the son of Yahweh, people would have thought he was crazy. Yeah, that, that, that's the least. They would, have, they would have killed him then and then. The reason, yeah, the reason Jesus lasted three years in ministry is because he was a wise cookie. And in fact, on, on the rare occasions when he alluded to who he was, oh, they armed themselves. Look at this one situation in John 8. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Uh, who was the great I am in the Bible? Yahweh. And so it's a subtle... And what do they do? Hey, this... What do they do? They own, arm themselves. They pick up stones to stone him. And notice also, too, in Jesus' ministry, 
So, so he's, he's, he said something that's now provoked the crowd. And so you know what he does next? No, no, he, he, he puts a dagger in deep and twists it. He doesn't, does he? What does he do next? He slips away. Isn't that exactly what Esther did at the, at the banquet? When she had that opportunity, she slips away for the next opportunity. Jesus slips away. He lives to, I'm thinking of a James Bond film now. What's that? Live to die again or something like that, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, and so, do you want know Jesus do? He slips away. The Son of God hides. What'd you do with that? You know, that was me. I want to let them have it. I zap them if they try to do anything to me. <laughs> he slips away. Look, Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the crowd. And you know when he stood before Pilate, the governor? Boy, did he let Pilate have it. Who do you think you are? Hey? You were talking to me? Or chewing a brick? Did you say that over here? <laughs> it's a saying in the UK. You're talking to me or chewing a brick because either way you're going to lose your teeth. You see, that, that's, that's the idea. No, no, no. How does he conduct his conversation before Pilate? With absolute superior intelligence. He, he gives bits away, but he never says enough to turn Pilate against him. In fact, Pilate leaves the conversation with the man who is the king above him as a new fan. Did you know that? Pilate walks away from Jesus as a fan because of Jesus' intelligence, wisdom, the way he communicates immense truth. Listen to this. Look, so you're a king then. If Jesus says he was a king, then what would a Pilate immediately have ordered? His execution. And instead, instead, look, how he, instead look how he speaks. My kingdom is not of this world. He <laughs> goes, okay, okay, Pilate, I'm a king, but, but don't you worry, because it's not your world, it's another one. And so as far as Pilate, oh, that's okay then. Because the only kings I'm interested in are people who think they're king here. Can you see the point? And it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Jesus finds grace in wisely confronting the governor. So the point is this, friends, as believers, do you know what? Successful Christian living, successful gospel work sometimes comes down to something as mundane as using the thing between our two ears. Really? Sometimes as simple as that. Using a bit of common sense. Remember when they were going to kill Paul? What did his mates do? That's right. That's this Paul. Hey, disappear, mate. Come back another day. In our work for the gospel, in Christian work, look at what Jesus says. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We have a great gospel opportunity here in Hope Valley. God willing, this will be the worship place of Living Word Church for many years to come. How should we approach the work here? Bang, 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 bang,
it's a marathon. Slowly, wisely, in a thought-out manner, with a long haul in view. It's going to take time to reach this community. It's going to take great wisdom, intelligence, planning, organised events well. Ben's always come up with these ideas about how we can reach people. It's going to take people with brain activity who can take those ideas and implement them sensitively, wisely, at pace. Hey, we're not going to convert Hope Valley by the end of 2021. It may take the end of 2031. Do you see the point? And, and so, so the way we approach that work, like Esther, like Jesus, like Paul, has to have the long term. It means we have to be patient, doesn't it? It means we're not going to get the deliverance of the Jewish people or the Hope Valley people today maybe, or even Friday when we do those leaflets. But it means it's one step, another step. It means we go back to the drawing board, we think some more. If that's less effective, we think some more and we try this thing, we invest here, we take our time, we do this or we do that. We spend more time prayerfully approaching it, looking at it through God's perspective, through intelligent eyes, and we bring it to God. And here's the thing about being spirit-filled Christians. Do you know, do you know what is one of the marks of being spirit-filled? I'm going to finish soon. One of the marks of being spirit-filled, Isaiah 12, is that you get a lot of, not just power, you get a lot of wisdom. I know you're cheating. You know you recognise someone who's spirit-filled? He isn't just casting out demons. He brings intelligence to the table. And it's why in Acts 6, when they chose men to serve the church, they picked men who were full of the Spirit because it was those men who were, Acts 6, wise. Hey, you've got a dispute between, between uh, the, the Hellenistic Jews and the local Jews about food handouts. And so, hey, the last thing you want to do is send in some cowboy who thinks he's a bull in the china shop. And, you know, who's going to get these two groups and knock their heads together? No. They send in. Who do they send in? The wisest, smartest people in the church. The ones who are filled with the Spirit. You know when Joseph stood before Pharaoh and said it's going to be lean, seven lean ears? Do you know how he won Pharaoh over? He gave him a detailed plan. A step-by-step detailed plan of how he could save the Egyptian nation. That's why he got the job. And so friends, so friends, hey, every one of you has got a great big brain. I wasn't looking at you, Brenton. Every one of you has got a whopping brain. Every one of you in this church is gifted to serve this church. We said last week you are hand-selected for your particular gifts that you bring to this environment. Let's collectively reach this, this little suburb with Jesus. And let's individually walk our walks 
through seeking the Lord, through prayer and fasting, engaging those cells in how we do talking to our neighbours tomorrow, in how we engage at work, in how we talk to people on the school gates, in how we communicate to someone on the phone, in how we engage the postman or the neighbour, in how we serve and give to mission. And let's see, like Esther, God willing, like Esther, we will have gospel success. It may not be today or Friday, but maybe in 2024, we will see numerous bombs on numerous more seats. So let's, let's pace ourselves. And let's believe and let's act with great wisdom as those who are truly filled with the Spirit. Amen.